Chapter 5 of The Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Revelation. It was with joy and relief that Dorinda communicated her father's decision to Rupert, and he was as pleased as she was at the prospect of their speedy marriage. Hitherto, Balin, not wishing to make himself uncomfortable by losing his housekeeper, which Dorinda really was, had always objected to the performance of the ceremony. Certainly he gained five hundred a year when the two became one, but during the twenty-four months of the official engagement this fond parent had not been in particular want of money, and in any case had always borrowed what small sums he required from his liberal-minded cousin at intervals. But now his heart was set upon purchasing the blue sapphire which he had mentioned to Dorinda, and it was not likely that Rupert would give him the price of that. Therefore, to get his new income assured, he allowed the young couple to have their own way. Also, and this had a good deal to do with the granted permission, he really dreaded lest Carrington should obtain any influence over the young squire and thought that the gaining of such could best be prevented by giving Rupert his desire. With Dorinda beside him, it was unlikely that Hindle would allow Carrington to draw on his purse. Seeing that Miss Mullen had a small opinion of her father, and spoke to him pretty freely on subjects of dispute between them, it seemed strange that she should have laid such stress on obtaining his consent to the marriage. But Dorinda, considering that her father was her father, in spite of his unamiable nature, wished him to exercise this last act of paternal authority. She would not have been happy had she provoked a quarrel by doing contrary to his views, and so had waited until he thought fit to issue his commands. Had Mullen, indeed, wholly forbidden the marriage taking place, Dorinda would have rebelled, but she gave way on the minor point of an unusually long engagement. She saw Rupert almost daily. They understood one another thoroughly, and as both were young, there was no particular hurry. Nevertheless, the girl was pleased at the lordly permission of her irritating parent, and set about her preparations straightway. It was now July, and after a conversation with Rupert, it was decided that the Reverend Simon Lee should make them man and wife toward the end of August. And Dorinda confessed to her future husband that she would be glad to escape from the constant society of her father, who of late had been unusually trying. On his side, Rupert was extremely glad to get the dearest girl in the world all to himself. So the important matter was settled, and Hindel returned to the big house, very contented with the world in general, and with himself in particular. In his delight, he called in Mrs. Beetson to the library to inform her of his intended change of life although he rather dreaded the woeful looks and sad words with which she would receive his communication. Mrs. Beetson made her appearance, looking more like a Christian martyr than ever, but assumed her most gracious and ladylike manner to hear what her young master had to say. She greatly resembled that painfully well-bred gentlewoman, Miss Sparsett, 
in Dickens' story, and like her, was a housekeeper very much against her will. "'Wish me joy, Mrs. Beetson,' said Rupert, gaily, when the martyr made her sour appearance. "'I am going to be married.' "'So I have understood for two years, Mr. Hindle. "'Quite so. I have been engaged to Miss Mullen for quite that time, "'but we are to be married toward the end of next month.' "'Indeed,' Mrs. Beetson looked dismayed. "'Isn't that rather sudden?' "'Sudden?' Rupert swung round his chair and looked puzzled. "'How can it be sudden after my being engaged for twenty-four months?' I only mean, Mr. Hindle, that I should have thought it necessary for you to consider the matter carefully for six months before fixing the day. Marriage, Mr. Hindle, is a serious matter. It is a very delightful matter, Mrs. Beetson, considering who the lady is. Ah, Mrs. Beetson crossed her hands and cast up her eyes with a melancholy expression. So we all say until we are married. I suppose, Mr. Hindle, you intend to give me notice? Indeed, I intend to give you nothing of the sort, said Rupert, bluffly. All the difference will be that my wife will give you orders instead of me. Mrs. Beetson looked as though this would make a very great difference indeed, as she much preferred to have a master than a mistress. All the same, she looked relieved when she learned that her situation was not in danger. I am glad to stay on, Mr. Hindle, she said, with the air of making a concession. I look on the big house as in some sense my home. That's all right. Continue to look upon it as your home until Kit marries Miss Tollard and you go to live with them. Pardon me, Mr. Hindle, said Mrs. Beetson with icy scorn. But you little know my nature when you suggest such a thing. I don't approve of Sophie Tollert, whose views regarding our sex are anything but pacific. Besides, young people rarely take the advice of those who are older and wiser than they are. Consequently, it is best for them to live by themselves. Would you like Mr. Mullen to dwell at the big house when you wed with his daughter? "'Good Lord, no,' replied Hindle hastily. "'It is the last thing either I or Miss Mullen would desire. "'We can manage our own affairs.' "'So you think, Mr. Hindle, but the mistakes you will make will be endless.' "'Nonsense. I am not a fool, and Miss Mullen has plenty of good sense.' "'Sense isn't experience,' lamented Mrs. Beetson shaking her head and smiling in a most dreary manner. However, I am no prophetess of evil and wish you and Miss Mullen well. But mistakes you will make, say what you will, and sorrow will come to you as it comes to all. There, there, don't croak any more, Mrs. Beetson. Be croak? repeated the lady in surprise. Why, well, I am trying to look on the bright side of things. For whatever you may say, there is always a black side. Well, well, observed Rupert testily, for her words and manner irritated his usually steady nerves. We'll wait and see what happens. Never trouble trouble till trouble troubles you, is a very good proverb. I annoy you by speaking the truth, remarked the good lady with a superior smile. 
Ah, that is always the way with the young, sir. However, you have only to say the word and I go. I don't want you to go. You may not, Mr. Hendel, but Miss Mullen will. Not at all. She is quite willing that you should stay. So she says, but I have my doubts. And Mrs. Beetson groaned, being quite sure in her own mind that Dorinda wished to turn her out to die by the wayside. However, this is a world of sorrow, and when I am starved to death, perhaps you may be sorry for your harsh treatment. Wait until the harsh treatment takes place, retorted Rupert, who would have liked to shake her into common sense. Meanwhile, I have told you of my intention to get married next month. There's many a slip between the cup and the lip, said Mrs. Beetson mysteriously, but the less talked about is the soonest forgotten. After which cryptic speech she drifted toward the door, as if her legs were taking her in a direction contrary to that expressed by her will. The Reverend Mr. Lee is in the monument room, Mr. Hendel, she said, pausing on the threshold, and expressed a wish to see you. You might ask him to stay to dinner, said Rupert, glancing at his watch. Mrs. Beetson departed, firmly convinced that her master really intended to dismiss her and had only broken the ice with his information about the marriage, so that she might be prepared to be turned out to die. With this in her mind, she hovered uneasily about the dining room and drawing room, both before and after dinner, in the hope of catching some stray word which might reveal Rupert's expected treachery. Meanwhile, Rupert, after a hearty laugh at Mrs. Beetson's cheerful manner of looking at the future, went upstairs to dress for dinner. Hang Mrs. Beetson, he thought, when he descended to the drawing room. I do wish she would keep her dismals to herself. She's about as cheerful as tombs, and not at all the person to have in the house of a young married couple. And from this mental speech, it may be guessed that the dreary old lady was within an ace of being dismissed, as she dreaded, although such an idea had never entered her master's mind until she began her wailing. Mr. Lee, who had brushed and washed at Mrs. Beetson's request, for he was dusty and grimy after his work in the monument room, was wandering about the big drawing-room, peering at pictures and statues and old silver through his pince-nez. He turned to greet Rupert in his usual mild, absent-minded way, when the young squire, smartly groomed and eminently handsome, entered. "'Quite Greek,' muttered the vicar, balancing himself on his toes and with his hands behind his back. "'I must say that your looks are in your favor, Rupert, for the well-being of the race— you should marry and beget children. Well, I'm going to, said Hindle, used to the vicar's eccentric speeches. I make Dorinda my wife next month. Oh, indeed, said Mr. Lee alertly. Dorinda is a very desirable damsel. I hope you will be happy. You seem to have your doubts from the tone you use, remarked Rupert dryly. Mr. Lee shook his head. Life has its troubles, he observed sententiously. For heaven's sake, Vicar, don't croak. I have had enough of that from Mrs. Beetson. 
a remark which the housekeeper hovering outside the door overheard and registered in her mind as a bad omen for her future continuance at the big house i beg your pardon went on the squire rather ashamed of his momentary irritability but i do wish people would look on marriage as marriage and not as a funeral of course of course ruminated mr lee one is always sure of a funeral though not of a marriage vicar burst out the young man much vexed at this persistent lamentation you are well he linked his arm in that of mr lee knowing it was useless to argue you are hungry and there's the gong am i hungry mr lee asked when he was being conducted into the dining-room really i believe i am for three or four hours i have been busy in the monument room i wonder you don't grow tired of fumbling amongst those dusty parchments no 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 they are most interesting yet went on the vicar as he spread his napkin across his spare knees i may have to postpone my history of barship parish after all until i return from yucatan that is yucatan rupert nodded to the butler that he should fill mr lee's glass with sherry for the vicar was too absent-minded to give the order where is yucatan mr lee devoted his attention to the soup and then looked up dreamily yucatan he repeated dear me rupert your geographical knowledge is limited i never was a particularly good scholar said the squire apologetically and yucatan is some out-of-the-way place i take it it is in central america and it is concerned with the maya civilization oh now i know what you're talking about you refer to that diary of old frank mullen which his son has dorinda told me that you went occasionally to see it at my cousin's cottage yes said mr lee more wide awake than usual and although i have been many times for the last year mullen always tells me over again that it is his father's manuscript when he explored central america he thinks that i am wanting in common sense i fancy but i let him talk on rudely as he does talk rupert after all the diary is so interesting that mullen's brusque manners are well worth putting up with for the sake of my acquiring the information it contains what does it contain asked rupert more for the sake of promoting conversation than because he cared an account of a dead and gone civilization said the vicar in a dreamy tone and scarcely knowing that fish had been placed before him tombs cities stone carvings and manuscripts deposited with mummies yes there certainly must have been some communication between yucatan and egypt Laplange says dear me i forget what he does say however i can see into the matter for myself when i go there go to yucatan to central america said hindle staring why at your age it is dangerous to attempt such an expedition mr lee only caught the last word expedition yes it will be costly as mullen in his rude way observed but i have arranged how to get the money rupert a thousand pounds 
perhaps more really i am not sure what it will cost but we can arrange the sum later we rupert stared harder than ever you and i said lee placidly after all i am glad you have the money and not maulin as you are more likely to do what i want than he is a door man grasping and avaricious rupert glanced at the butler and the footman i don't quite understand he said in a puzzled way perhaps you will explain in his turn lee following hindle's eyes glanced at the servants when we are alone i can tell you all about it over our coffee more bewildered than ever and in a vague way sensing danger rupert would have asked for an explanation but the servants being present he decided to wait until he was alone with his erratic friend therefore the conversation passed on to other subjects connected with mr lee's discoveries in the monument room of various documents connected with the behavior of dead and buried hindles toward the parish rupert said very little what with mrs beetson's gloom and the vicar's cryptic utterances he felt as though some storm were approaching and was anxious for the meal to end so that he could go to the root of the matter all the same he laughed at himself for entertaining such a wild fancy there was no quarter of the heavens from which any storm big or little could blow as all was serene and bright and as hindle happened to be one of those very material persons who only believe in what can be seen heard or touched he scouted the idea of any premonition heralding any possible evil yet the premonition was in his consciousness sure enough and the young man prosaic as ever put it down to indigestion a weaker explanation considering his splendid health can scarcely be imagined when the dinner was over mr lee who had contented himself with a single glass of port wine to round off the entertainment rose more briskly than usual and announced his wish to go you must not mind my speedy departure rupert he said slipping his pince-nez into his waistcoat pocket but i have much to do in connection with my proposed expedition i hope titus ark is waiting to accompany me home i told him to call for me about half-past six ark is waiting in the kitchen said rupert after a quiet word with the pompous butler he came at six and has stayed on there is no hurry for you to go mr lee remember you have something to tell me and hindle taking the old man's arm led him gently but firmly into the drawing-room something to tell you repeated the vicar puzzled then suddenly his face cleared oh dear me yes how fortunate you reminded me rupert it has to do with john hindle john hindle do you mean my great-great-grandfather who died in the waterloo year yes i do when we are alone mr lee broke off and glanced meaningly at the footman who was bringing in the coffee it is lucky you reminded me he ended aimlessly very lucky my expedition ah yes this hangs on that and that on this 
"'What on earth are you talking about?' questioned Hindle, much vexed at all this unnecessary mystery. "'Sit down and drink your coffee, and tell me all about it. "'You don't smoke, I know, but I shall.' "'Certainly, certainly,' murmured Lee vaguely. "'Of course your marriage with your cousin will bring together the two branches of the family. "'That, in the long run, will put things right.' "'Put what things right?' Money matters. Hindle echoed the word and stared. I wish you would talk plainly, he said with some irritation. Oh, certainly. I am rather apt to wander in worldly matters. Lee cleared his throat and sat up briskly with all his wits about him for once in his dreamy life. Mullen is descended from Walter Hindle and you from Frederick Hindle their father, John, being your common ancestor. Yes, that is so, but Mullen descends through the female line, although he is the elder branch of the family. There is no entail? No, if there was, it would be in my favor, as I descend through the male heirs. But what does all this mean? I shall tell you if you will allow me to collect my thoughts. While searching in the monument room, Rupert, I came across letters of John Hindle, which show that he loved his elder son Walter and greatly disliked his younger son Frederick. Walter was a brave man who fought for his country and who died at Waterloo. Frederick, as the letters say, was a scamp, what in those days was known as a blood. Reckless, extravagant, and evil, he alienated his father's affections, and John Hindle desired to disinherit him. It is the first time I have heard of Frederick's iniquity, said Rupert with a shrug, and I see little use of raking up the evil done by a man who lived about one hundred years ago. Lee took no notice of this observation. John desired that his granddaughter Eunice, the child of his favorite son Walter, should inherit. As the property was entirely at his own disposal, he made a will in her favor. Rupert jumped up so suddenly that he upset his coffee. What? Pray don't act so excitable a manner, Rupert, protested the vicar, raising his thin hand. You irritate my nerves. But, but, what you say, oh, it's absurd, stammered the squire. There was never any question about Frederick's inheriting the property. I don't know much about the matter, as the thing didn't interest me. But if Frederick inherited wrongly, surely the question would have been raised before. How could it be when the will in favor of Eunice was missing? Missing? Yes, John made the will and apparently died suddenly before he could make it public. I found it said Mr. Lee slowly, in the chest. In the monument room? Yes, it is a will drawn up quite legally on parchment, as it was the case in those days, although I don't think wills are drawn up now on. Oh, never mind these minor points, broke in Rupert hastily. You say that you found a will made by John Hindle, leaving the property to Eunice, from whom my cousin Mullen is descended? I did. Some weeks ago, I came across the document. 
but I did not say anything until I ascertained for myself as to which of you two was the right person to have the money. I am inclined to think that you had better keep it, Rupert, since Mullen is so avaricious and will not help anyone, not even me, when I desire money for my expedition to forward the cause of science. If this will is in order, said Rupert, rising to pace the long room and feeling painfully agitated, Mullen should have the property. I fear so, I fear so, muttered the vicar uncomfortably. The same leaves the property unreservedly to his grandmother Eunice. I have not told Mullen, who would undoubtedly contest your right to the estates, as I do not consider him a fit and proper person to have much money. Right is right, said Hendel, whose face was pale and whose lips were dry. If Mullen is the rightful heir, he must be placed in possession. But all this may be a mistake on your part. Where is the will? Mr. Lee looked nervous and distressed. Dear me, Rupert, I am afraid I have mislaid it. I took it home to study it at my convenience, so as to make sure that it really gave the property to Eunice. I did examine it, and became quite positive that Mullen is the rightful heir. Then, somehow, you know how absent-minded I am, I laid it aside, and since have not been able to find it. I have searched without result. You should have given it to me at once, said Hendel severely. But, my dear boy, I had your interest at heart, protested the vicar, wiping his forehead. I know how quixotic you are, and guess that you would give the property to Mullen without demur, if the will was correct, which I fear it is. For your own sake, I took time to consider the discovery I had made. You must find the will at once, commanded Rupert manfully, and it must be submitted to the lawyers. If Mullen is the heir, Mullen gets the money. Mr. Lee rose, much agitated. I don't think he should get it, Rupert. He is a greedy man who would only hoard up gold and make a bad use of newly acquired wealth. I tell you he declined to help me to fit out my expedition. I know you will, so you ought to keep the money. How can you advise me to be so dishonest? cried the squire indignantly. You who are a clergyman of the Church of England. I have the greater sense of right from being so, rejoined the vicar, quite tartly for so amiable a man. And when I remember that you and yours have enjoyed the property for one hundred years, it seems ridiculous to hand it over to another man. Who belongs to the elder branch, remember? said Rupert swiftly, and who is, according to your reading of this newly discovered will, the rightful heir. He took a turn up and down the room, then stopped to face the vicar, who was fidgeting on the hearth rug. You must turn your house upside down to find the will, Mr. Lee, and it must be handed over to our family lawyers so that Mullen may be placed in possession of the property forthwith. Rupert, I implore you not to act hastily or foolishly. Say nothing about this belated testament, which will do Mullen more harm than good, considering his greedy and misanthropic nature. I will look for it, and I will give it to you. Throw it into the chest again. 
No, 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 I would never have a moment's peace if I did that. I know that Marlin is not the man to have too much money, but I can't help that. If he is the rightful heir, he must enter into his kingdom. Besides, if I marry Dorinda, the property will come back to me, representing the younger branch. If Marlin gets the property, said Mr. Lee deliberately, he will not allow you to marry Dorinda. I can trust her, said Rupert curtly. Quite so, but you will have no money to marry her, and Mullen will cut her off with a shilling. He is quite capable of doing so. Hindle knew this well enough and reflected for a few moments. Say nothing to Mullen or to anyone, he remarked finally, until you find the will and we look over it together. Oh, I shall certainly hold my tongue, said the vicar quickly. Believe me, it is only my esteem for you which makes me urge you not to notice the will. Sleep on the question, Rupert, for the morning is wiser than the night. This matter will remain strictly between ourselves. Now good night, good night. Hindle shook hands, not objecting to the vicar's abrupt departure, and when alone groaned over the unexpected fulfillment of his premonition. End of chapter 5